Hello and welcome back to Sacred Blue Lotus. In this session, we will do a book review by Alessandra Bologna. Her book is Healing Journeys with the Black Madonna, Chants, Music, and Sacred Practices of the Great Goddess. Now this woman, through her studies and travels and experiences, realized that that the Mary that people in the world venerate through the Christian religion is based off this Black Madonna who's actually based off of another goddess. But of course, these goddesses change uh, costumes, form, names, depending on the culture. And for us, um, as melanated women, we need to open our eyes to these changes, the guises that our mothers where today and also the fact that many people still venerate worship idolize the black madonna while melanated people are swearing their allegiance to a being that was given to them by their oppressor and who never existed in the form we think he has so let's get on with the book. The cover is beautiful. Uh, it has a uh, black woman holding a skull in her lap, and in her left hand is a staff. And I believe uh, Alessandra also makes these uh, hand drums because she's uh, into chanting and music with this painting. So I'm just going to read couple of sections in her book just so you can get a feel of the book it's an excellent book and just remember that for most people when they write books like this they can only go back so far because it's all they can take all they can handle and they really don't have to go further it is our job to pull out the truth we can just take it from there you can go further. You don't have to rely on everybody to do this. The sacred knowledge has been held. We need to take it back and decipher it for ourselves. Because it's hard for some researchers to deal with the information they find. Not necessarily in this book, but a lot of other books that I find, especially on goddesses. You can see a struggle with the information that they find. They often contradict themselves when given the information. The uh, authors, when they're diving into the true histories and bringing them out, they don't want to be excluded, even when they are apparently absent in the stories. They continue to insert themselves. With that, let's read a little from the from chapter three entitled the prophetess the poet and the pagan goddess and i'll begin with the section titled my first journey to the cave of the sibyl and also the section god is a woman and she is black 
my first journey to the cave of the Sibyl. It was a hot summer day in July 1987, at least 100 degrees, when I decided to take Dario's old Fiat 126 down to Kuma, about two hours south of Rome. The road which leads there is still the ancient Roman Domitian Way. Although it is a narrow, treacherous road when you drive on something built more than 2,000 years ago, it does not really matter. It just feels wonderful to know that something so old still exists and on which Virgil himself quite possibly traveled. The road circles the famous Lake Averno, which I found very powerful. I thought, there it is, the entrance to hell. How did the Romans know that? How did they go in and come out of it? Or at least, how did Virgil, the first mystery? Then I saw the sign for Antro de la Sabilla, or Cave of the Sibyl, just like I had read in De Simone's book. The road ends here. I still remember feeling very excited and frightened. I had no idea what was there or what I was going to do except maybe take photos with my fancy Pentax camera. As I entered the cave, the guards probably thought that I was crazy since it was during the hottest part of the day, around two in the afternoon. No one in their right mind was there. No doubt everyone was at the beach across the way, swimming in the blue waters of the Mediterranean Sea instead of exploring a stifling cave. As I made my way inside, I suddenly felt completely at home. It was as though I recognized something familiar, yet totally mysterious. Walking down the ancient cobblestones, I turned left on what are called the chambers. I found myself in a stunning, haunting place with architecture I'd never seen before. Impressive even to Romans like me who grew up practically in the shadow of the Colosseum. The Cave of the Sibyl is a trapezoid-shaped corridor cut out of tufo stone. Along the corridor are seven chambers running parallel to the side of the hill. The corridor leads to an innermost chamber where the Sibyl was thought to have prophesied. I walked very slowly and entered every chamber, each with a stone altar, and sat touching the stones to feel their energy. Sunlight streamed in from a hole cut in the stones on the opposite side of the cave, creating a magical effect. It was unbelievably powerful and humbling. It all seemed unreal. The chambers were cut perfectly in a trapezoidal form by the ancient Kumani, who lived there like cliff dwellers before the Romans came. The Kumani built it for her, La Sabilia. But who was she? Did she really exist? The legend said that she lived for hundreds of years and that her voice emanated from under the earth when evoked to give prophecies. When I finally arrived at the last chamber, I realized that this was the mythical place where the Kamean Sibyl sat and spoke her prophecies. I felt her presence and heard a voice in my head. Since I am a singer, the first thing that came naturally to me was to sing in the cave. To my astonishment, the sound and the reverberations were beyond human power. I knew that the cave was intentionally built to have this resonance, 
I could feel that thousands of years ago, initiated priests and priestesses came there to chant and evoke the Sibyl. But when she spoke to them, she actually sang. Inspired, I kept singing, feeling that the Sibyl might answer me. Then I sat on her throne and for some time was caught between worlds. I had never experienced an altered state of mind, and as I looked at the stone walls, I could see so many figures, faces, and symbols. The cave was alive. The echo of my voice may have caused my altered state of mind, yet the earth itself also had a haunting power that I had never felt before. All around and underneath the cave, the black soil is volcanic. Close by, there is a place where the earth keeps moving and steam comes out from the underworld. It was indeed alive, always changing, always moving. I closed my eyes and asked who the Sibyl is, and the answer came to me that she is the voice of the earth. I immediately recall the mystical experiences I had a few months earlier, flying over the Pacific Ocean along the California coast. The voice I heard then was similar to the voice I heard now. The voice, which had spoken to me above the Pacific, said that she could see the past, present, and future. This reminded me of Hecate, the triple goddess of the underworld. I don't know how much time I spent there. I was completely alone the whole time. The heat and sweltering temperature made it seem almost like a sweat lodge. For all the time, I was not really there, but rather somewhere else in the past, remembering and honoring the Sibyl, a wise woman priestess, the Sophia who embodied the voice of the earth. Through inhalations of the volcanic soil and smoke, the Sibyl guided Virgil to enter the underworld. She foretold the destruction of the world, the birth of the Messiah, and the return to a new golden age. I knew that I had received incredible information from this ancient place and had to write it down. I was certain that this would be the beginning of my opera, The Voyage of the Black Madonna. As I read Virgil's poetry inscribed in Latin on the stone tablets all around the cave, I realized that Virgil would be the lead character in the opera and that he would come back to save humanity from self-destruction and help save the earth from dangerous ecological situation that was slowly killing it. Like Virgil, I was being guided to write my new story of enlightenment by the Sibyl. The term Messiah was used as opposed to Jesus. The Messiah is not one specific person. Since most people are Christian, they've been given this one Messiah without researching for themselves where this Messiah comes from. And that's the main problem that many people are facing. They actually are discouraged to look into the beings they worship. You're supposed to have just faith. And for black people, where is that getting you? And lastly, on this section, she discussed she was going to write a play where Virgil would come and save humanity. 
uh, from self-destruction and from the dangerous ecological situation, as she put it. You have to realize that no one is coming to do this. You are the Virgil or the Virgin. You are the one that will give birth to a new world. No one is going to do this for us. Let's carry on. God is a woman and she is black. After visiting the cave, I became obsessed with the legends of the Black Madonna, Virgil, and especially the Sibyl. I discovered through my research that most Sibyls were African. They were not white as we were often taught in school. That meant that the Cumaean Sibyl was also black, like the Madonna. I felt connected to her since I'd always had clairvoyant powers and I had premonitions through my dreams. In my research, I discovered that the Duomo de Siena, Siena Cathedral, a stunning work of art and architecture, had a famous inlaid mosaic floor crafted by some of the most well-known artisans of the Renaissance. That includes a representation of the sibyls of the ancient world. There are believed to be 10 sibyls, including the Cumaean sibyl. The Egyptians speak of the Libyan sibyl, said to be the daughter of Noah, who traveled with him on the ark during the Great Flood. She wrote 24 books, including a prediction of the end of the world. There's the Delphic Sibyl, also the Daphne, daughter of the blind seer Tiresias, and beloved by Apollo. Others are the Hellespontine, Tiburtine, Phrygian, Thracian, Sumerian, Persian, and Semean Sibyls. All powerful oracles and priestesses throughout the classical world. Each Sibyl, including the Cumaean Sibyl, is depicted holding a book of prophecies. As part of my research, I decided to go to Siena to visit the cathedral, accompanied by my musical partner, John La Barbera, who would compose the music for the opera. I knew that we would both find more inspiration there. Also, John used to live in Siena, and this was the place he first met the group of folk musicians from Puglia, who changed his life and therefore mine forever. As we entered the spectacular immense cathedral built in 1236, we stared at the floor in wonder, astonished to realize that we were practically walking on top of the sibyls. The mosaics were made from marble, mainly in shades of white, rose, and black. To our amazement, the Libyan sibyl was black like the Madonna. These oracles were life-sized, depicted in artistic, sensual positions, at times with enigmatic expressions on their faces, each holding their respective book of prophecies. John and I walked around slowly, our eyes fixed on these beautiful women priestesses trying to imagine what the architects of the era were trying to tell us by carving these mythical oracles on the floor of the cathedral. The artists and architects of the Renaissance were alchemists and knew about magic. 
They achieve the highest of the art forms through esoteric initiations. In the Duomo di Siena, they showed their knowledge and powers and all the splendor and beauty that human beings could possibly achieve. And by choosing the symbolism of the Sibyls, they dedicated their masterpiece cathedral to the divine feminine. John and I continued exploring, following the path indicated by the church. Soon we arrived at the intimate chapel of the Madonna known as La Madonna del Volto, Madonna of the Val. She is the one who blesses and protects horses and their riders during the Palio di Siena, the famous horse race ridden for centuries in Siena's Piazza del Campo. The moment we entered the chapel, we saw her, La Madonna del Volto, the Black Madonna. The Madonna del Volto is a Black Madonna, I said to John, who had not realized this before. Both of us became very emotional and I began to cry. Right beside her, on the floor below her, and on her right, I noticed another lovely, perfectly sculpted life-size of a dark-skinned woman. She was holding up a flame to the Madonna and had long, sumptuous hair. She also carried an oil lamp as to illuminate her. To our surprise, John and I read that this was Mary Magdalene in adoration of Mary, mother of Jesus. Once again, I felt that I had been guided to this point, and she, the great mother, the dark goddess, was telling John and me to write the opera in her honor. I felt an immense inspiration overcome me. John said that he felt it as well. Immediately, we shared our feelings with some friends who were visiting from New York. I described how I was going to write The Voyage of the Black Madonna, exclaiming that she was the beginning of life, the architect of the African mother, and indeed the universal mother of us all. In disbelief, one of the women said to me, You mean to tell me that God is a woman and she is black? Yes, I replied. God is a woman and she is black. Wow. So if you're interested in more of this research done by Alessandra Bologna, please pick up her book, Healing Journeys with the Black Madonna. Just want to mention a couple of things about this uh, particular section. She mentioned the Renaissance. What the Renaissance was, was when Europe that we know today was beginning to wake up. Um, before that, the Moors were in charge and they kicked the Moors out. The Moors built everything and installed universities and uh, their culture before being kicked out. And what the who we know as Europeans today did was to remake everything in their image during that time. But they did not erase everything. We'll end here with just a couple of questions. The first being, why are Europeans, including the Pope, still venerating the Black Madonna when I am honoring a woman and child who looks nothing like me? 
And why, as a melanated woman, a black woman, do I not believe this day and age that I am not worthy of veneration? Happy journeys as you learn more about your divinity. Until next time.